following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, this morning we'll be looking in Acts chapter 31, verses 1 through 18. So let's start by reading... Um, Chapter 31 of Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by my name, called by name, Bazalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahasamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that is on, on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings with its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons, for their service as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Excuse me one second. Um, Imran. Can you turn the bass down on this? It's too, it's too much bass. <coughs> it may sound good out there, but it, it, it kills me up here. <laughs> um, all right. <coughs> this passage actually brings the, to the conclusion um, this whole section about the, what we've called the blueprint for worship, the plans for the tabernacle and all its furnishings. And uh, Ted did a great job last week. Uh, talking about the last actual pieces of furniture and elements in the tabernacle. But there's one more set of instructions that that Moses gives 
uh, that God gives Moses before he hands him the, the stone tablets. So Moses has been up on the mountain for many days get, getting these instructions, uh, the covenant, <coughs> uh, and specifically uh, the details about the tabernacle. Um, and, and as we've seen, that uh, this, this earthly tabernacle is a picture, a copy of, of the heavenly temple of God. Um, and it points to what ultimate worship looks like in a heavenly perspective. Uh, as we come before God's presence in a heavenly temple where God dwells on his throne uh, and, and what that looks like. And so everything in the tent, as we've seen, symbolizes and points to something of our real encounter with God in the heavenly realms. And it was a way for Israel to, to visualize, to conceptualize all that was uh, included in their experience with God as they met and would come to know him. And so uh, God gives two more specific instructions. One is about the guys who are going to build the tabernacle. Uh, we're actually going to do the work of constructing it, which was an intimidating task. Okay, how would you like to have this assignment? I want you to make a copy of something in heaven. Right? Like, ah, I don't know if I'm up for that. Right? Um, but uh, God, as we will see, helps them. And he calls them specifically qualified, gifted men who he empowers to do the work. The second thing that he talks about is the Sabbath. Uh, and then, interestingly, he gives... Moses, the, the covenant, the ten words etched with God's own figure on, finger on stone. And there's two of them. Uh, a lot of people uh, mistakenly think that the words were so long it took two stones to get all ten commandments. Actually, if you look in your Bibles, it's a very short list. It would be easy to put on one stone tablet. Uh, it was an exact copy. right? So they had two exact replicas of the same ten words. Uh, and it's just like when you make a covenant agreement, like whether it's a rental for your house or whatever, how many copies do you sign? Well, usually two, right? One for the owner, one for the for you, the the the, the, the leasee, leaseor. I don't know, person paying the money, right? Two copies. Well, that's kind of how it is. There's a picture. One of these is God's copy. One is a copy for Israel, and it was a way of ratifying or showing that they were they were in covenant. Um, so, uh, in this passage, we, we see some great pictures for how we uh, can do God's work. Um, uh, and and we, it's interesting that in this passage, there's kind of a picture of work and rest. That's why I've called the passage uh, Work and Rest. Uh, and while it's, it's, it's focused on Bezalel and Oholiab, I can't tell you how many times I practiced that, so I could say that this morning. Bezalel. Um, a cool name, by the way. I, Bezalel. Um, it's about them, but it's really about all of God's children who do and engage in God's work. <clears throat> we uh, are called to join God in his work. As believers in Christ, as part of his kingdom, we're called to love God, love people, and serve him and do kingdom work. And so... Much of what we see in this passage is very relevant for us as we uh, serve God. And we're going to kind of intersect what, what uh, God instructs Moses here with the gospel. And we will see how in, in the New Testament age, because of what Jesus has done, it actually gives fulfillment and meaning to what's written here. 
So we're going to look at two main points, uh, gospel rest and gospel work. And we're going to do it in kind of reverse order of what it is in the passage because it's just an order to the gospel that will make sense, I hope, as we undo, undo, unpack this. Uh, so let's look first of all at this thought of gospel rest, this is the Sabbath. Uh, one of the big things God says here is that they should remember the Sabbath. And in verse 12, let me read again. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, and get the emphasis here, Above all, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. So the Sabbath is a big deal for Israel. He says, above all, of all the things you remember, it's vitally important that you keep the Sabbath. And of course, that meant that on the seventh day, they were to cease from their labor, cease from their work. And it was to be a day dedicated specially to God. Uh, It was a holy day to them, meaning it was set apart where they were to do no regular work, and it was a day with a unique, sacred, and special focus or purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of us have funny ideas or maybe painful experiences about how the Sabbath has been taught or practiced or instructed in in your life. I remember as a kid, uh, we went one day to uh, visit my cousin who lived in a different state, and his dad was a pastor of a church. So that in itself kind of made it holy ground, right? You know, and I remember we went to church Sunday morning and came back and had a nice lunch. And afterwards, it was like, okay, let's go play. Because that's what kids want to do, right? And my cousin says, oh, we can't play today because it's the Sabbath. And he said that with all the depression and, and sorrow and agony of a child who's been confined to a life sentence, right? And I thought, wow, really? Like Sabbath means you can't have fun. And sadly, that's often how it gets communicated and taught, that Sabbath is a day somber to the Lord in which we wrinkle our faces, we drink lemon lemon juice without sugar, we suffer for Jesus because that's what the Sabbath is, right? Uh, A day that you can never have fun or or enjoy anything, no football games, no TV, uh, no joy, no fun. And sadly, there's churches that practice that, They think that's what Sabbath means. Uh, But uh, I think they're they're, they're misunderstanding the real purpose and focus of what the Sabbath is. Uh, The opposite extreme, which is probably perhaps more common for a lot of us, is this idea that there's nothing special or sacred about the Sabbath. That it's just some obsolete, outdated Old Testament thing that we no longer have to pay attention to. We can just chuck it because it's... Now, Jesus came and he kind of did away with all that old boring stuff. And so now we can eat pork and work on Sunday. Uh, that's pretty much what the gospel's about. Um, well, the, the, the truth is Jesus did not do away with the Sabbath. Uh, he, he simply refocused it on its true purpose and function. But he never said... Well, the Sabbath was a dumb idea. I don't know what God was thinking, right? He never said that. He, he, he changed the order. He said, the Sabbath is not for man, but man, um, man is not for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is for men. And, and he, he intended that we use it in, in line with its correct purpose. 
And likewise, the New Testament church did not do away with the Sabbath. They moved it, right, from the seventh day of the week to the first, the day of resurrection. And uh, they fulfilled this greater purpose and meaning in understanding that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath, as we'll see. They did not do away with it. And I think the reason that that people misunderstand and misapply and and, and, and in the end abuse the Sabbath is because they fail to understand its God-intended purpose and function. And God's very clear in this passage about its purpose. Uh, He says again in verse 13, he says clearly its purpose. He says, above all, you shall keep the Sabbath as a sign between me throughout your generations. And here's the purpose statement. So that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. That's the purpose, God's purpose statement, mission statement for Sabbath rest. So that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Sabbath is not just a day off because you need rest. That's definitely one of the great benefits of it. And, and we do need rest. And uh, it's a great side effect. It's really not that it has no significance. But that's not the main purpose. Uh, it is not because, you know, God sees that, you know, six days of enjoyment is good. And one day you need to just stop enjoying everything and be miserable because that's more holy. Not true. That's not the purpose. Um, clearly, it is not optional even for believers, even in the New Testament. Now, of course, we have to be careful about how we apply it. And, of course, the Jews, uh, trying to define what not working means, came up with all kinds of crazy things. And we've got to be careful we don't do to it what the Pharisees and the Jews did. But it is not optional for us. Right? We are to keep the Sabbath. Um, but we need to make sure we keep it in terms of its purpose, to know God and to know that he is the one who makes us holy. Uh, so how does that work? How is it a day of Sabbath helps us know that God sanctifies us or makes us holy? How does, how does that work? Well, it's, it's significant that uh, this intersects with the tabernacle. Uh, and this is actually uh, the second time this set of instructions has been given. Uh, the first time was in chapter 20, and now again, uh, almost repeated verbatim with very few little tweaks, uh, God restates the, uh, the call, the commission, the command to keep the Sabbath. But he does it in this, as it intersects with the tabernacle. And I, I think that's significant. Uh, the tabernacle was a sacred space. And as we've been looking at all of it and how it's set up, it was a piece of holy ground. And it was literally God's house on earth. Of course, not Fully, God reigns in heaven. He didn't move out of heaven. Uh, He didn't actually fully live in the temple. But it was a picture of his dwelling with the people on earth. And so it was a holy place. It was a holy space where the people would come and meet with God and be in his presence. Uh, The Sabbath is sacred time. So the tabernacle sacred space, the Sabbath is sacred time. The point being, if you have a sacred space, but you don't make any time to go there and to be there and to meet with God, it's wasted. It's silly, right? So it's significant that the Sabbath and the tabernacle go together. The point of the Sabbath was to set aside time from work and daily life to go to the tabernacle and to worship God. And it was through this experience of worship in the tabernacle that they would come to know and learn what? 
that I, the Lord, am the one who sanctifies you. Everything in the temple, in the tabernacle, pointed to this truth. Uh, Everything about it is holy because Yahweh himself is holy. And as you look past, as we've been through this, great emphasis on the holiness of God. Uh, He dwells in the holy of holy places behind the veil. And he's approached through the holy place where there's the the table of bread and the the lampstand. And nobody can enter there. Why? Because God is holy. He is sinless. He is is set apart. He is different from them. And it reminds Israel of, of, of their sin and that sin and their fallenness requires a separation between God and, and man. That we can't just march into God's presence. That our sin and our fallenness has broken our relationship with Him. And so as they come before the tabernacle, there was the, the great altar. And uh, they would come offering sacrifices and through much shedding of blood. They would lay their hands on the animal and they would transfer their own guilt and sin to a substitute that would die in their place. And one day a year, the, the blood would be taken into the Holy of Holies and their atonement would be made for the people. So see, all of this experience, week after week, as they come and they engage in this worship, as they come into the tabernacle, they're picturing this over and over again, this truth that what? That it is God who sanctifies them. Uh, that they, they need atonement. He's a holy God and there's distance between them. He lives in their midst, but there's a problem. And the only solution to that problem is the, the sacrifices and blood of offerings. Um, they would come to see that um, their good deeds cannot undo their sin and guilt. But there's no amount of work or effort that they could do to fix their moral failures and sin. Right? It had to be put on a substitute. Um, Exodus 29:43 reminds them this: that um, he says, God says, "There at the tabernacle, I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory." So God makes it clear to, to Moses and to the people that all this is a picture; it is an image; it's a shadow of, of what God must do to make His people holy and right before Him. Right? The, blood, the blood of a bull and of a goat cannot actually take away sin or sanctify them. In the end, God is the one who has to sanctify them. And we've seen that all of it points to Jesus, who's the ultimate fulfillment of all these pictures. But they all point ultimately to Christ, who is the, the perfect one-time sacrifice for sin. That his blood uh, was, was taken into the heavenly temple and made atonement for us. And our sin and our guilt has been put on him who is our substitute. Um, So all of it is a reminder, ultimately, what? That it is the Lord that sanctifies. That that, that as they worship God, as they set aside this time, they would come to know, if they engage the process with their heart, it's the Lord that sanctifies. That's the purpose of Sabbath rest. By his work... We rest. By the, by the work of Jesus, we enter into Sabbath rest. Um, down in verse 17, uh, there's another uh, picture or image of, of rest and what it means uh, when, when God says, 
The Sabbath is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Um, it's a great picture of what I, what I would call gospel rest. Uh, it says a, uh, it's a picture of God saving, but it's also a picture that he ties back to creation. What did that mean? Well, we know that in Genesis 1 and 2, it says that God created the world in how many days? How many days? <laughs> Actually, six. <laughs> there we go. Six days. Uh, and on the seventh day, he rested. And then that following Monday, he went back to work, right? No. <laughs> no. No, actually not, right? Uh, God did not create the world in six days and then rest and then on Monday go, oh, you know, I forgot something. I was going to paint the grass blue. I didn't mean for it to be green. Uh, right? No, God finished his work in six days. It was completed, right? And he rested on the seventh day, not because he was worn out, not because it's like, wow, that was so exhausting, right? Because he just spoke it into, into being. You know, he rested, right? Because it was finished. It was completed. Right? And it's not to say that God did not continue working. He, he sustains the universe, all that. But his work of creating was complete, perfect, finished, done. And so he rested. And it says, it says literally that on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. <laughs> Interesting word, refreshed. Like those little, little, little soft, moistened things that are refreshing. I, I don't know what that means. Actually, literally what it says in the Bible, in the Hebrew, it says, and, and he breathed. He took a breath. And it is a picture of rest. It's a picture of going, ah, let me do that. Ah. I guess we're not following directions very well this morning. All, all together. Ready? Everybody take a deep, good deep breath. Ah. Oh, okay, much better. Did you feel better? Right? It's a day of rest. The day of rest is, is like, like God's rest is not like our rest where we take a day off and, and by Sunday night, you know, we're dreading this huge mountain of work that's waiting for us Monday morning. No, for God, it's, I'm resting because <sighs> it's done, right? And you see, it's a picture, uh, creation itself is a picture of how God works when, when, when God the Father sent his son to the cross and Jesus went to the cross and he did the work of redemption, on the cross Jesus said, it is finished, right? It is done. The work of saving, of atoning, of redeeming, of dealing with sin and guilt is finished in the cross. But there is no, nothing more to be done. And so when Jesus died and rose again, he, he also rested from his work of redeeming us. Right? He didn't go back to work. He does, he's not working today, dying more or trying to do more to atone for sin. It's done. Right? It is finished. And God rested and he breathed. Ah, it's done. It's done. Right? And so... Our salvation, the work that God has done to sanctify us is a completed, finished work in Jesus. And he's resting from that work. And so uh, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says this, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And in the context of Hebrews, he's talking here about 
entering into the salvation that we have in Christ. Right? It's a finished work. Completed. Right? There's no more work to be done. And there's certainly no work to be done on our part. There's no work that you and I can do to add to what Jesus did on the cross. It's complete. It's finished. We rest from our work. And so Sabbath is a great picture of that. It's a great reminder week after week after week that, um, well, our work may not be done, and tomorrow, sadly, I have to go back to work uh, again. Uh, Yet the, the Sabbath rest that we enter into in Jesus is finished. If you put your faith and trust in the work of Jesus, you are in his rest. There's no more work to be done to deal with sin and guilt, to save you, to atone, to to make you right with God. You stand before God, blameless and holy. Amazing, right? And when we rest, it's a great reminder of that. We live in a state of spiritual rest in Jesus. And really for us, it's not just one day, but it's, from now through all eternity, we are resting in the finished work of Christ. Um, and so we need a Sabbath reminder. We need to stop from our daily work once a week to remember and to know that it is the Lord who sanctifies us. Um, a vital means of keeping the right perspective about our life and our work and what God has done for us. Um, because we do need to be continually reminded that, that the gospel, the work of Jesus, is a finished work. And that in Christ it's done. Um, you know, we need to breathe and to, to rest in the confidence and assurance that it is done. We are as saved, uh, we, we are as right before God as we ever will be. Of course, there's a, a sanctifying work that the Holy Spirit is constantly doing in us but positionally before God as we stand before God it's finished it's done um, so if you're worn out if you're burned out if you're stressed out it could be a sign that you're not really resting in Jesus <laughs> you're taking on more burden and duty uh, than he's called you to and it could also be a sign that we're not setting apart sacred time to, to worship, a day to focus on the finished work of Jesus. Right, so that's, a, that's the gospel rest, and he calls Israel to that. He calls us to that. Uh, second thing, though, is, is the, the gospel work. Uh, I go back to the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Asamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. So God here calls two specific individuals by name who he raises up and appoints for this unique and special task of actually making all this stuff. Uh, Hammering out these gold uh, furniture and building the wood that goes underneath it and 
the skins and the, the, the embroidery. And they may not have done actually all the work, but uh, he was to oversee it and guide it. Um, to build it in the exact pattern that God had given. And, of course, the pattern is, is given written description in, in, uh, that we have here in Exodus. But uh, in several points through the account, God tells uh, Moses, just as I have shown you. So not only did Moses get verbal instructions, but he saw a picture of what God wanted. And uh, somehow he communicated that to these two men who were given the task of reproducing it exactly. Um, and so when we think about rest, it's easy to, it's, it would be tempting to think of gospel rest, rest as being like gospel vacation or gospel unemployment. Not true, okay? Uh, the scripture is very clear that we are called to rest, but we are also called to work. Uh, uh, to put it a different way, we are not saved by good works, but we clearly are saved to good works. And, of course, the passage that most points that out is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved as a gift, not as a result of works. Right? So that's the rest we enter into. In one sense, we do not work for our salvation. We do not work and do good deeds to justify ourselves or be holy, be right before God. But he goes on to say... Um, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Right? We're not saved by good works, but we are saved to good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Um, crazy. I don't know how this works, but before God created the universe, when he unfolded his perfect plan and his wisdom from the be beginning of day one until the end of time, he envisioned you, and he thought, I have got the perfect job for you. And he planned it from before, beforehand, from before the beginning of creation. He has a task, a job, a duty, a work for you to do. Uh, of course, generally we're called to a life of obedience to his commands. That's part of our work. Uh, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, the Apostle John tells us in 1 John 3.23, and this is his command that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus and that we love one another just as he commanded us. So two works. One is to believe, to, to practice faith in what Jesus has done. The second is to love each other. Okay? Which of those for you is harder, believing or loving? Or pretty much they're both just next to impossible, Right? Uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go, uh, Jesus says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Clearly, we've been given work to be on mission with God, to be at work in the world doing His work as He calls us. Uh, but there's a couple important instructions here that are great reminders for us. The first is that uh, God, didn't, God did not open this up for applications. Right? God did not say, okay, Moses, I want you to go out and I want you to start taking applications and find whoever is the most qualified, like artisans, and, uh, and hire them. You know, and here's the interview process, and here's the committee, and bring it to the board and get it approved. And Is that what he said? <clears throat> No, he, says, he says, I have called by name two key guys. 
I know who they are, and I have called them. Um, <clears throat> we're called to do God's work, but here's the thing. We don't get to pick what we do. Right? God picks. God assigns. God appoints. So and, 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 you know, we kind of live with this illusion that, you know, wow, I think I would like to be a missionary. I think I would like to be a pastor. I think I would like to be a church janitor. Oh, wait, wait, nobody says that, actually. Right? We think that somehow we get these options that God puts before us, this menu of choices, and we get to pick something. But that's not really what the Bible teaches. Right? We look at the gifts of the Spirit. It says that God has appointed to each according to His plan the parts of the body. Right? He puts it together. So the task for us is not to think and look at jobs and think, well, that looks kind of fun. I think I'd like to live in Thailand and work at the beach and at a resort evangelizing tourists, right? Sounds good to me. We don't get to pick, right, what we do. Secondly, we don't really get to be all that creative in how we do the work, right? God says, I've given ability that they may make all I have commanded you. According to the blueprint I have handed down, according to all that I have commanded you, they are to do. Now, these were artists. They were creative guys. Um, but God didn't say, you know, here's kind of my, my concept. Take that and run with it. <laughs> I want to see what you do. No. He says, no. This is the blueprint. Build this exactly. Um, it is God's design, not mine. God calls us to specific work and not only that, but he calls us to the way it's to be done, uh, to the process, to the plan. So serving God, doing his work, means doing what he's called us to according to the plan he has given us, uh, according to what he's prepared for us from beforehand. Um, Therefore, working for God begins first and foremost by seeking his will. But if we want to be engaged in doing God's will, it means we've got to be serious and intentional about seeking God's will and purpose for our life. Knowing His purpose and plan. And thankfully, a lot of that He's made clear in Scripture. You know, make disciples and, and love people and, uh, and believe and have faith. Um, but it means, not, it means, as Proverbs tells us, not leaning on my own wisdom but in all my ways acknowledging Him and knowing with confidence that if we do that, He will lead us. Right? He will lead us into His will and His path. It means prayerfully asking God what He wants me to do and then being led by His Spirit. And here's the thing. I think for, especially in this group, this crowd of people here, us, you know, for us, you're serving God. You, you want to work. Um, you're, you're not just kicking back, watching TV, living life for yourself. You're serving. For us, the danger is not so much that we don't do anything for God. The danger for us is doing stuff for God He didn't ask us to. Right? Getting, you know, getting so fired up and taking on everything and doing everybody's job because you're, you, know, you tend to be kind of type A driven personalities. You didn't know that. as a group. Right? Most of you are not lazy. You're hardworking. Where we get ourselves in trouble is that we do too much. 
We do and jump into things that God did not call us to, appoint us to. And they're good things, right? They're good things. But they're not what God called you to do. Right? So we need to be led by his spirit. We need to hear his voice. And for a lot of us, what that probably means is asking God not what I'm supposed to do, but what I'm not supposed to do. Right? God, where do I need to start saying no? And here's the thing. This is where this kind of intersects with the whole rest thing. I, I talk to people over and over who say, oh, I don't have time for Sabbath rest. I don't have time to get alone and be with God every day because I am so busy doing important work for God. Right? God's, God, you know, what would he do without me? Well, if you have that attitude, you're fixing to find out because he has ways of just taking us out. And you'd be amazed how much God can do without you. Right? Um, if we're too busy for God, guaranteed we're not doing his will. Because part of his will is Sabbath rest. Right? In fact, the first priority is Sabbath rest. Getting the right perspective right? that, that Jesus has done the work. It's not up to me. And, and he does his work perfectly and completely. He's invited us to partner with him, but honestly, he doesn't need our help. He will do his work without us. But he wants to do it with us, and he calls us to join him. Right, so rest helps us keep a balance in our life. Um, another great principle for us that comes out of this says Basilel was filled, uh, Basilel was filled with the Spirit of God, uh, with ability and intelligence, with wisdom and all craftsmanship. Right? He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this phrase, it would be easy to read this, these, this, these things filled with the Spirit, ability, intelligence, knowledge, and craftsmanship, that God really gave all those things in equal parts. But that really is misunderstanding the emphasis of the sentence. Uh, really what he's saying is, uh, God filled him with the Spirit, and through the Spirit, he enabled and empowered all those other natural abilities. But the emphasis of this sentence is that he was filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit came into his, his ability, his intelligence, his knowledge, and his craftsmanship, and supercharged it with, with supernatural power so that he had a capacity in those things through the Spirit he did not have before. But that's really what the filling of the Spirit means. Uh, we are given a new capacity to do God's work that we would never have in our own ability. Um, now, of course, God also gave those abilities. The very ability, intelligence, knowledge came from him to start with. But, but it's through the Spirit that God takes those things to a new level. And here's the good news in all this. The very good news for every one of us is this. Uh, whatever it is that God has called you to do, and oftentimes if you're like me, the thing that you find out God's called you to do is the one thing you really don't want to do. Anybody been there? Right? Did I want to be a pastor? No. Of all the things I could pick, that was last on my list. And I made that very clear to God. God, I'll serve you. I'll do anything. Just don't make me a pastor. I don't know how. I think God has a sense of humor, or I don't know why he does that, but... It's like, no, actually, Tim, that is what I'm calling you to do. Can you submit to my plan and my will? Well, it took me a while, right? Um, 
And, and one of the things that, that terrified me is I thought, I can't do that, right? I don't have the ability or capacity to, to do that job. But here's God's promise. He will never call us to do something and then not give us everything that's required and needed to accomplish it successfully. Right? God's not like that. You know, he doesn't say, you know, I want you to be a computer programmer, but I'm not going to give you the, the capacity to do that. Right? You're just going to have to pretend and fake it. Right? I'm going to call you to be a missionary, but I'm not going to equip you this, with the skills to learn a language uh, if you're going to you know, ministry cross-culturally in a different language. No, he's going to equip you. He promises. If he calls you to something, then you can be confident He's going to give you everything you need to do, and He will do it through the Holy Spirit. That's what being filled with the Spirit means. It means we have a capacity, a supernatural capacity, that enlivens our natural abilities and and enables us to do the work He calls us to. Um, Of course, in the New Testament, this promise is even more significant. He called, he promised that to Bezalel and Oholiab. He didn't necessarily promise that to every Israelite, but he does promise it to you and I. First um, Corinthians six nineteen says this: Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? If you're a believer in Christ, your body is a is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Right now, God Himself by His Spirit dwells in you. Amazing. Uh, it is a result of the finished work of Christ. Ephesians 5, 15 through 18, Paul commands us, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, great reminder, right? Our task is to know God's will. And... Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I love how Paul puts those things together, walking as, as, as wise people who know God's will and being filled with the Spirit. Right? He commands it. So we can be pretty confident that it's an option that's available for us. So how are we filled with the Spirit? Well, if you read some books and if you watch some uh, <laughs> YouTube videos, um, it would appear that filling the Spirit has a lot to do with becoming insane and crazy, like getting slain in the Spirit or speaking in tongues or foaming at the mouth or some such thing as that. And, and I, I'm not against those things. Uh, I have been, I have, I, I, I must confess, uh, as painful as it is, I, I have actually prayed for people and they've been slain in the Spirit. I didn't, I, I didn't actually even believe in it, but it happened. And so uh, I can't argue with that. Um, However, is that really at the core of what it means to be filled with the Spirit? Right? Certainly in the New Testament it happened where the Spirit came on people and there were supernatural signs. Right? There was people speaking in tongues. Uh, and, and extraordinary things happened as evidence that the Holy Spirit came upon them. But is that, is, is that to be seen as the norm? Well, if you look at all throughout the, the, the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, it's clear that that's not the norm. It doesn't say here that, that Bezalel went off speaking in tongues because he was filled with the Spirit. Right? In fact, it's very likely, and, and, and from, it's an argument from silence, but from what we see here, it would appear that 
Bezalel felt nothing, right? I don't know that he all of a sudden felt like this surge of electricity. Who? I think I just got buzzed by the Holy Spirit. Let's go to work. I don't think so, right? Um, doesn't say. It just says that the Holy Spirit worked in his life in a way that in, increased his his abilities, right? He probably was quite unaware of how that was working. Right? Although in time, as he started working, he may have started thinking, "Well, you know, <laughs> that's good. I don't know, it was that good." <laughs> it's like, "Oh yeah, that wasn't me, right?" Uh, uh, the, the Spirit must be doing this because I'm having thoughts and ideas and. Things are coming together in ways that are beyond what... I mean, I was good, but I'm not that good, right? But I don't know that he felt anything. And, and oftentimes we think that being filled with the Spirit is like this agonizing, foaming at the mouth thing with God where we're going to encounter or feel some zap from God. Um, but this, this passage helps us become aware that it's probably not something we're consciously aware of. And beyond that that the filling of the Spirit is given in connection with our calling and mission. Right? It is not about some experience. That's not the point. God does not fill us with the experience so we feel supercharged or passed out or whatever. Right? That's not the focus of it. We're filled with the Spirit. Why? To do our job. Right? To do our ministry more effectively. Um, and so, uh, how are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we will be filled with the Holy Spirit in connection with our calling and mission, which means we can expect to be filled with the Spirit when we step out in obedience and do the work we know He's called us to. Right? So this is how it works. God called you a task, called you a job, you're clear on it, you, you just know you're supposed to go do, share the gospel with His people. Make disciples here. Teach these people. You, by faith, step out and you go, God, I have no idea how to do that. But I know this. I've been filled with the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I start walking, God is going to enable me with what I need to do that. All right, that's what it means. Uh, it does require uh, certainly a humble submission to God that we're diligently pursuing His will and submitted to it. So when God says... Now I want you to be a pastor. You submit to that calling, right? Because the Holy Spirit will not fill you if you're not submitted to his will. It also requires prayerful dependence, uh, acknowledging that I don't have what it takes and I desperately need his help. And so I prayerfully cry out, God, help, help. Give me your spirit that you promised so I can do the work you've called me to. All right, so that's gospel rest, gospel work. Uh, when you kind of put these things together, uh, the reality is that the gospel means the believer has both rest and work, and we need to do them both well. I think the, the principle is the better we are at resting in the finished work of Christ, the more prepared and equipped we will be to do the good works he has appointed for us from all eternity. We get that turned upside down and we make our work too important and the finished work of Jesus becomes a tacked on footnote, we're going to have problems. We're going to have problems. But when we become intentional about resting in the finished work of Christ, 
we will find that we are more than equipped and prepared and enabled to do the work God's called us to do. Uh, I have some reflection questions I'm going to put up, and uh, April's going to come in just a minute and pray. But as you do, just in your own heart, be thinking about these questions. Am I daily seeking to know God's will? Am I submitted to his plan and purpose for my life? Am I working? uh, How are you working? How am I working to not lean on my own understanding, but to trust in his wisdom? Um, Am I living life with a deep dependence on the Holy Spirit to empower me? You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.